Welcome to Prologues. My name is Mary, and when I get overwhelmed and start feeling behind, I find it helpful to zoom out and remind myself that I am still in the beginning of my story. I'm sharing all of my life's chapters, mental health, relationships, wellness, beauty, the chaos of being in my 20s, and all of life's unexpected turns. Prologues is the best way to start your week, so join me every Monday morning for a new entry into my digital journal. Welcome back to another episode. Welcome back to Prologues. Welcome back to Girl Talk. Allow me to set the scene for you right now. It's a Saturday. I usually don't record this late in the week, but I am. And it's a middle of the Saturday afternoon. I'm still in my pajamas. I just got out of bed. I barely even feel like a person right now because that's how hard I was napping before this. I've been so sleep deprived lately and it's been my fault because I've developed a Doc Poppy fixation, like those prebiotic sodas that are meant to be Dr. Peppers and they're not, they're Doc Pops. I didn't know those had caffeine in them. And looking back, it seems obvious it's meant to be an alternative to a Dr. Pepper, which is a caffeinated soda, but they're poppies and I love poppies and all my other favorite poppy flavors don't have caffeine. So I just thought, how can this have caffeine in it? It's like a little healthy, fun drink, right? Wrong, 32 milligrams of caffeine. So I've been sleeping like shit for about a week and every day popping open my little Doc Pop and enjoying it. And I am so pathetic when it comes to caffeine that that little can of purple, happy, aesthetic, wiggly lines, colorful marketing, prebiotic soda drink, that has enough caffeine to like keep me up all night long. So I have not been my best self. I just realized yesterday that I've been drinking all this caffeine and that's probably why I'm not sleeping well. I've been like tracking my aura ring stats. I'm like trying to keep a diary. I'm journaling. I'm working out. I'm like trying to figure out how can I make myself tired at night. I'm turning my phone off, all these things. And it's like my little emotional support beverage that I have every day has been keeping me up. And that just doesn't feel fair because if I'm using that beverage for emotional support, it's not fair that it's making me sleep like shit. So now I've lost my Doc Pops don't have that to look forward to anymore. I can't even remember why I started talking about this. This is the only thing I've talked about in this episode so far. I don't know, you guys. It's middle of the day on a Saturday and I am just waking up, really. And I thought this would be a perfect time to record Girl Talk Part 3. Very highly requested. Every time I do a Girl Talk episode or one of these more like lighthearted, more loosely structured episodes, everybody says, do them more often, do them like once a month at least, etc. So you guys know the drill. I asked the podcast Instagram, the Prologues podcast on Instagram for topics, and I've written down a bunch on my little notepad and we're going to go through them. But before we do, I'm going to catch you guys up on a couple of more things because I realized I actually have a life update that I haven't shared yet. And it's almost the end of January. So we've been doing this for a month and I haven't shared it yet. So I thought I would. So as most of you guys know, I was raised vegan and I stopped being vegan, kind of like my late teens and I was vegetarian for years. And then I stopped being vegetarian at like 2021. So I've only been eating meat and dairy consistently for like a couple of years. I feel comfortable with that. I still eat mostly plant-based most of the time, but if I like want to enjoy meat, I will. And I, I really do like dairy products. Love them. They make me feel horrible. They make me feel like deaf, but I mean, I love them. So that's been my like dietary situation for a long time. It still is. 
But Matthew, my husband, who was not raised with any sort of like dietary restrictions or anything, has been eating plant-based six days a week since the start of January. He's on a little health and wellness, or I don't even know if you would call it health and wellness. He's on a personal journey. He's going through some changes and he watched all these documentaries about the meat industry, ones that I like grew up watching, you know, all the classics. And he's been eating plant-based six days a week. And Saturday is his off day where he like eats meat and dairy. He doesn't feel like super strongly about this. I think for Matt, he just likes to challenge himself in different ways. And so this is like a fun little, it's almost like a little game for him when he sets a gym goal or a health goal or something. He literally acts like it's a fun little game he gets to play. But it's been almost a month of that. And it's been so interesting and fun because I've gotten to share recipes that I have loved my whole life, like plant-based recipes, different ways of making tofu and like tempeh and all these different foods that he's never really showed an interest in eating before. He is really interested in now, especially since he is a now a retired athlete. So he's no longer a pro athlete, but he's obviously like super, super active still. And he's a big guy. So he needs a ton of protein for the amount that he works out. So he's literally trying to hit like 180 to 200 grams of plant-based protein every day, which is a challenge. (laughs) Definitely a challenge. It's doable. But we've been really creative in the kitchen. We've been cooking more together because he's been coming to me for my advice and my expertise when it comes to just like just knowing different vegan recipes and things. And it's been really fun. And I'm not saying everybody out there has to like change their whole diet or go on a new plan or whatever, but it has been really, really fun to explore a new side of cooking together. It's obviously not new to me, but it's new to him. And it's been fun to do that together. Very fun. So I've been really enjoying that. And then Saturdays are just funny to me because like the first Saturday after he started doing this, he cooked a steak at nine in the morning. He was so excited for it. And I'm loving it because it means that we are eating more of the same foods and he's doing so much exploration in the kitchen. So that's been fun. I don't know how long he's going to stick with it. So far, it's been a month and he says he feels great and he's like finding his rhythm and finding foods he really loves. We'll see. Like I said, I still eat mostly plant-based, but I could give up meat again forever and be fine. I could be like an ovo-lacto-vegetarian, meaning a vegetarian who eats like eggs and dairy and be fine as long as I take like lactates and stuff. But I don't know if I could give up real dairy again. And I feel like when I was a vegan for my whole life, That's like the thing people would say is like, well, I could be a vegan, but I couldn't give up cheese. And I get that now. I don't think I could do that. After living a lifetime without cheese and having it for a couple of years, I don't know if I could, but I could give it meat again. So we're eating like way more closely than we ever have before. And it's been fun. But yeah, I thought I'd share because that's kind of a significant life update. Another life update, I am planning and brainstorming and dreaming about my outfit for Eras. I'm seeing the Eras tour in June. And I'm in between three different eras, Evermore, 1989, and Speak Now. Speak Now and 1989 were my favorite albums as a kid. I was 12. Was I 12? Yeah, I was 12 when Speak Now came out and 16 when 1989 came out. And just think about this for a second. Think about the vibe of 1989 and think about Tumblr in 2014, like that era of Tumblr. And then think about being a teenager when all of that was going on. It was the golden age of being a teenager and being 16 years old in, it's 2014, right? I have the year right. 
when like Tumblr was at its peak, One Direction and like culturally things, people were still wearing brightly colored like skinny jeans and and the line, darling, I'm a nightmare, dressed like a daydream was literally everybody's Instagram caption for months. Like it was a golden time to be alive. And I'm so grateful I was 16 during that time. And then Speak Now was just like my favorite, favorite, favorite album as a kid. It was like, I was a fan of Taylor Swift before that. I've been listening to her like since she started making music. But I think Speak Now was like, I really attached to the music. But then as an adult, I probably listen to Evermore the most just because it's on in the background. It's vibey. I really like the storytelling and I love how poetic it is and everything. And I have people tell me on Instagram that like my personal style matches Evermore the most. And I was like, yeah, that kind of makes sense. But I think that means I should do Speak Now or 1989. I feel like if I am Evermore coded in my real life, then it makes more sense to go for like the nostalgia factor the inner child factor and go like super glitz and glam with a more like an era that is more outside of my normal style. So that's what I'm doing. Obviously, I don't know if you can tell, but I have been planning this for like six months already. I have had, I've got mood boards. I've got like multiple different outfit visions for all of these different albums. Like once I figure out what I actually want to do, once I narrow it down to one, then I will have no problem putting together the outfit. I just have to narrow it down. I also joined a new gym. Ironically, I joined a gym a couple of days after I posted last week's episode, which was the like reviewing wellness trends. And I talked about like cold plunge and sauna and all these things. And last Monday, the day that episode came out, I actually went to this new gym in my area with one of my really good friends who had got the both of us a day pass to go for my birthday, which was last July, because trying to figure out a time to hang out with your adult friends when you have different schedules is a nightmare. And it took us like over six months to find a day to go. And I went and I was like, "Mm, now that I've experienced a gym that has these different amenities, how am I meant to go back to a Gold's gym? A Gold's gym, which I've always felt so uncomfortable in Gold's because actually, you know what? This relates to one of the topics that we're going to talk about later in the episode. So I'm not going to get into my beef with Gold's gym at this moment. But I will just say, after I went, I really liked it. And I started asking everybody I knew. And I asked a ton of you guys. I was chatting to a bunch of you guys in my Instagram DMs. And so many people were like, I go to this type of gym or my gym has that. And I don't regret it. I love it. I go all the time. Totally worth it. And I did it. I got the membership. So I have a new gym membership. And I'm really excited because I will go work out every single day of the week if it means I get to sit in a sauna afterwards. Are you kidding me? It's like finding the ultimate life hack to making yourself work out is if you know you get to go relax in a 190 degree room and lay on some hot wood and breathe the hot air. I know that doesn't sound good. It's so good. It literally changes me as a person. I feel my mood lifting. I feel myself reaching a higher form, breathing in that 190 degree hot air that smells like wood. God, that sounds awful. No, I'm really excited about it because I also feel like I needed kind of a boost in my fitness journey because I was so consistent last year, most consistent I've ever been in the gym in 2023. And when I got sick in October, and I know I've said this so many times and you're probably sick of hearing it, but I got really sick at the end of October. I got a bad, bad flu that took weeks to recover from. And I just didn't start working out again after that because then the holidays happened And then traveling happened and then like Thanksgiving and Christmas. And then next thing you know, it's January and I got sick again and blah, blah, blah. It had been a couple of months. I just like, 
was having a really hard time motivating myself to get back up there. So I have now, and I'm really, really enjoying it so far. That's my only other big update that felt very significant to me. What else is going on? Not much. As I'm sure you can tell by the absolute state, the first 10 minutes this episode has been in, I'm all over the place right now. I would not say I'm in a place in my life where things are neat and orderly and make sense. That's just not me at the moment. So what better time than to record an episode where there's going to be 20 different topics? I love this. The reason I like doing the Girl Talk episodes, first and foremost, is because I love Girl Talk. I love hanging out with my girlfriends and I love talking about girl things. And honestly, some of the most enlightening, important, and educational conversations I've had surrounding topics like sex, health, relationships, career, finances, growing up, pet ownership, health advocacy, everything. My most important conversations that I've ever had in any of those categories have been with my girlfriends. I just feel like I've learned so much from them. There is so much in this world I would not know how to do if I hadn't asked one of my friends and they had known the answer. I don't know if that makes sense. Literally so much. And so I love these types of conversations and I like that this is a chance for us to have them together, especially when we talk about it on Instagram or you guys send in your own like personal stories and anecdotes that relate to the things that are in the episode. I love it. It feels like one giant discussion. So I've written down a ton of different topics and I just thought we'd get to as many as we get to today, provided I can organize my thoughts for three seconds and hopefully you won't regret clicking onto this episode if you don't regret it already. Before we get started, I do have to say this is just for fun. I don't know what I'm talking about. I don't have a ton of information about the more specific situations on this list and I can only share what I've learned through my experiences, which might be really, really different to yours. So please take everything I'm saying with a huge grain of salt. I really don't know what I'm talking about. I know nothing. Prologues is all about not having life figured out and being at the very beginning of your story still. So please keep that in mind as we're going through this episode. I love having these conversations. I love these topics, but I don't know everything. I don't know most things, honestly. So with that in mind, let's do this. Let's just start with the gym related one because I was just talking about that. So actually a couple of people asked, how do you get into fitness and conquer that like first time gym goer anxiety? And I worded that a little bit vaguely because this question was asked in different ways, tons of times. So basically like, how do you get over that anxiety in the gym or in a workout class? Well, I don't know if you can tell by what I was saying earlier, but I don't think I ever fully conquered that anxiety in golds. I used to have a Planet Fitness membership and I felt fine there. And then for a long time, I only worked out at apartment gyms and that was fine. And then last year I got a Gold's membership and it was fine, but I felt that anxiety so heavily, so heavily. So I would say my only tips for that would be one, I believe in a gym buddy. I think I said gym buddies were in for 2024 in that episode. I really think that helps. I think if you can manage to schedule in with a friend or a partner or something and just go together, you never look quite as confused or as lost when you're with a buddy in a gym. It also can help discourage other people from coming up and trying to talk to you because I feel like one of my biggest sources of anxiety in the gym has always been that like sometimes it is a space where there are just a lot of men 
I don't want a man who I don't know to come up and talk to me. That makes me extremely anxious. And that happens. Like that happens in gym scenarios. You don't want to feel judged. You don't want to feel like it's obvious that you don't know what you're doing because then you're going to worry that a man is going to try to come up and explain it to you and try to help you. And you don't want him to do that. Like you just not in the mood for that. So I totally get where you're coming from in that aspect. I feel like there's also the anxiety that people are looking at you that you're using the machines wrong, that people are judging you if you're not lifting a ton of weight or if you're not doing an impressive enough exercise or something like that. There's like always this anxiety that people are looking at you because working out is kind of vulnerable. Like you're making faces, you're sweating, you're pushing yourself mentally and physically and you're doing it in a room full of a ton of people who you don't know. So it's intimidating. Gym buddies definitely help because at least you're not there by yourself. So there's that, I would say. If I had the choice between a gold and a planet fitness, I would choose a planet fitness. If I had a choice between like a planet fitness and a why, I'd probably choose the why. And I just feel like when you are trying to get yourself to go to the gym for the first time, you don't want to feel stupid because everybody else around you, it feels like they're doing more complicated things than you are. And you feel like such a beginner and you feel like people are judging you. So I would try to go to gyms that are more catered towards people who are just starting out or who are not as concerned with like the super crazy lifts or anything like that. Different gyms definitely have different reputations, I would say. And so, yeah, I think that could help too. If just like making sure the gym you're going to is one that is like beginner friendly, has the machines you want to use, doesn't expect you to know how to do all of these complicated things straight off the bat. And then if you're feeling anxious in a class, like say you're going to yoga or Pilates or bar or something like that, I don't know, Soul Cycle, I get that too. I have often felt like a loser in those environments because when the instructor is like correcting you or pushing you, it's hard to not take it personally, especially if you're already feeling intimidated because then everything feels like so personal. But it really isn't. And I think being upfront with an instructor before the class starts and letting them know if you have any limitations or if you're anxious to be there or whatever is really helpful. I did not do that for a while with Pilates. Back when I was going to Pilates like multiple times a week, I was really struggling with that. And then kind of hit me like, I haven't really spoken to this instructor about where I'm at physically. So I talked to the instructor and I was just like, hi, loving the class. I do have a heart thing. Like I really can't let my heart rate get too high. I'll pass out. Like happens every time my heart rate gets above a certain amount. Like I have to watch it. I kind of need to take breaks sometimes. I'm not just like not doing the exercise. Like I actually have to take a break or else I'm going to pass out. Like I said that multiple times because I was like, I know they don't want me to pass out in their class. So if I can just explain like, Hey, I'm taking a break and I don't need to be yelled at. I'm taking a break because it's what I need. That helped me a lot. And then that person was super understanding, like, oh my God, yes, definitely. If you need help, like figuring out any modifications, let me know. So I think that too. And like, it doesn't have to be a big thing, but just being honest with an instructor about where you're at, because their job is to help you. Like, their job is to help you get better and help you do well. So they should be open to that. And then if I was going to talk to an instructor, about a concern I had about a fitness class I was going to and they reacted really poorly or they made me feel shitty, then I just wouldn't want to be in their class anyway because that's not an environment that I want to be around. Let's move on. (laughs) 
Underwear recommendations. Somebody else asked, where are we buying underwear that covers more than one lip? <laughs> I love that. I picked this one to actually have a recommendation for you. Gilly Hicks. This is like such a random underwear recommendation. I think Gilly Hicks is an offshoot of the Hollister brand. And it's like an active and loungewear line. I don't know. Not sponsored by Gilly Hicks. But they have incredible underwear. Almost all my underwear is Gilly Hicks. I love that laser cut underwear that's really thin. And that's what I wear most of the time. They have a bunch of different cuts. They've got like cheeky, thong, boy short, you know, bikini, all those different cuts. And then they have a bunch of different neutral colors. I just get, I think I get like cheeky and just get like a five pack at a time. And they're amazing. Gilly Hicks. That is my underwear recommendation. Do you shave, wax, laser, or trim? Okay, I want to be a laser girl, and I'm not. I also want to be a waxing girl, and I'm not. I've never tried either of them. I want so badly to, but I'm, I'm nervous. I'm very afraid. And I have friends who get lasered and waxed, or not the same friend. The same friend doesn't get lasered and waxed, but I have friends who do laser, and I have friends who get waxed, and they swear by it, and they do it. Like My friends who wax, wax every time they're going on a vacation, Every month, like it's regular, it's part of the routine. It's like getting their nails done. Like they go and get their waxes. I want to be that so badly. I'm just so nervous. Oh, I'm so nervous. I think I'm nervous because I had a botched self waxing attempt when I was like 20 and it was a nightmare. <laughs> I can't believe I'm sharing this story. It was like one of those kits that you can do at home and I didn't heat up the wax properly. And I didn't attach the cloth strip properly. And so I pulled away the cloth strip myself. It's like hard to psych yourself up to do that to yourself, by the way. I pull the cloth off. So the cloth comes off and then the wax is just like hardening on me and not coming off. And it was so difficult and so painful trying to get it off. And I think I'm just scared now because of that. So to answer your question, I'm a shaver and a trimmer, but I want to be a lax a wax, a wax and laser person, but I'm nervous. I feel like if I were to try either, I'd do laser because then at least you're like done after a certain point. At least if you do laser enough times, so you get to a point where you don't have to anymore. Whereas I feel like with waxing, like you get into a routine with waxing and then you kind of have to wax all the time. But then also with waxing, you have to let the hair grow out to a certain length before you can get waxed again. So if having no hair is the goal, how do you time your waxes to make sure that the grow out period isn't interfering with any of the activities that you need to be waxed for? Waxing sounds like adding yet another thing to the horrendous exercise, wash hair, fake tan, shave your legs cycle that we're all familiar with. Waxing sounds like just another thing. So yeah, I shave and trim, but I would really, really like to try wax or laser. Probably laser. Do you think boyfriend air is real and how to combat it? Oh my God, I love this question. Yes, I do think boyfriend air is real. If you haven't seen that phrase online, I think this was a trend that originated on TikTok where people were sharing like their skin getting worse or their hair looking worse after spending time at their boyfriend's house, like sleeping over, coming home the next day or whatever. Like people were saying they, their skin is breaking out, like all these things. And the idea is that like boyfriend air is awful for your skin and your hair and your nails and like all this stuff. I have my own experience with boyfriend air. I do actually think it's real. 
I think I had a glow down for the first couple months after I started dating Matthew, who's now my husband. That's because I was sleeping over at his place a lot and I wasn't doing all of my like regular rituals, like like making sure my skincare and like taking my makeup off and all these things. In fact, this is embarrassing for me, but I didn't fully, fully take my makeup off sleeping over at his house until like two months into the relationship because I was so insecure and I didn't want him to see me without makeup. And so at first, because I would usually spend the night there after like a night out or we come home from the bars together, I would just fall asleep with all my makeup on, which is horrendous for your skin. And of course my skin got worse. And then once I was like, okay, I can't do that. It's awful for me. Then I had like, you know, face wash and makeup wipes and skincare and stuff over at his place that I could just use. But I still kept my mascara on because I was like getting confident enough to not have any face makeup on, but I was still like nervous, like really embarrassed or just like, yeah, just like anxious to be in front of him completely barefaced. So I kept my mascara on for a time. And then after like two months of being together, I was like, this is ridiculous. This is actually insane. Like I have to get over this. And then of course I started completely removing my makeup at the end of the night and he didn't even notice. And I was so anxious about that and I worked myself up over it so badly and he didn't even notice. But in that time, yeah, I definitely had a glow down. I was breaking out my hair wasn't looking good. My skin looked bad. It was like not only breaking out, but rough and textured, dull, all of these things. Like I wasn't moisturizing my body properly. I don't know. Just like I have such a routine when it comes to going to bed in my own space. And I just like wasn't doing it at the start of the relationship. And so I had to glow down. I have also heard people say they think the boyfriend air phenomenon is just because like your boyfriend's not washing his sheets or pillowcases enough. I am grossed out, but I believe it. I know for me, if I'm not washing my pillowcase super regularly, my skin gets worse. It gets really dull and really dry and flaky and it doesn't feel good. It like feels rough and stuff. So I do think boyfriend air is real, but I think it doesn't have to be. Also, I don't know if anybody else out there has experienced this. If you've been with someone who has a beard, But I learned early on that if your partner is going to keep and maintain a beard, they need to keep that thing so clean. Because if you are cuddling with them, kissing them, that beard can harbor so much bacteria that's then getting rubbed all over your entire face. I'm serious. I think it is within your rights as a partner to ask that your partner keep their sheets clean and keep their beard clean if they have one. One, because it's like basic hygiene. And two, it's better for your skin. (laughs) Also, if you're listening to this and you still haven't gone like totally makeup free in front of a partner, I get it. I was so anxious to do that. I don't know why. I just, I would go without makeup in front of my friends or like male friends and it wouldn't bother me at all. But then like the one person who's supposed to like you for who you are, that's the person I was afraid to be makeupless in front of. I don't know, because you want to impress them. You want them to think you're attractive. The thing is like you are attractive. You're attractive no matter what. If the person you're with thinks that you are not attractive just because you're not wearing makeup, you you sh- you want to know that now. You don't want to know that way down the line. So this is your sign. Please take the rest of your makeup off if you're still in that phase. I'm not judging you because I was in that phase for months, but please take the rest of your makeup off. 
let your skin breathe. It's good for you. It's good for the relationship. I feel guilty for taking too long to orgasm. Interesting. Let's talk about the female orgasm. This is one of those topics where if I wasn't having girl talk conversations in real life with my friends, I would not know as much about the female orgasm as I do know. I've learned so much from speaking to other women about their experiences because I used to feel like maybe I just can't orgasm. Like when I first started having sex, I didn't orgasm, you guys, exposing myself right now. I did not orgasm with a partner for years until my current partner, literally for years. And yes, I did fake it. And I know that's awful. And I know everyone's like, never fake an orgasm because then your partner won't know what to do. Like, I, oh, it's so cringe. I'm so embarrassed of myself. I wasn't faking an orgasm because I, I don't, I don't, why was I faking them? Let me, let me psychoanalyze myself right now. I think that I was faking orgasms because I felt like the problem for not being able to orgasm fast enough, which is similar to what this person is writing in. Like, I feel guilty because I can't take too long to orgasm. I vividly remember getting in these head spaces and like completely not enjoying myself during sex because I would be so anxious about like, why am I not finishing? That then it would completely take away any chance I had to finish in the first place. And then I'd just be like, okay, well now I just like want it to be over. So yeah, I have faked a lot of orgasms in my time because I'm anxious. This is probably the most vulnerable thing I've ever talked about on the internet. I think that's something I had to like legitimately heal from this performance anxiety during sex and this idea that it takes as long as it takes. Like my pleasure is important too, is what I'm getting at. Something we have to get over is this idea that your pleasure matters less than your partner's does. That's not true. Take that idea out of your head and throw it away. Your pleasure is important. And maybe it takes more time or more intention to orgasm than it takes for your partner. Maybe they orgasm quickly or easily or by doing the same thing every time, you know, and that's not you. That doesn't mean that you're difficult. It just means you have to do other things. And it's really hard to get into this mind space of being like, my pleasure is important. It is actually critical. Okay. And then you also have to be with a partner who prioritizes that as well. You don't want to be with a partner who thinks that sex is over when they finish. That's, I've been there. So feeling guilty for taking too long to orgasm. I don't think that's a rare experience. I think probably like a lot of women would be able to relate to that feeling. I know that I've talked to my friends about this loads of times and like we've all at different stages felt like our own orgasms have been a mystery to us. And the way to get over that is by, I think, self-exploration. I think you should masturbate. I think you should figure out what makes you orgasm because if you don't know what makes you orgasm, how can you expect a partner to know? I don't think it's weird or not sexy to have to learn what makes your partner happy in bed. And so if your partner isn't getting it right immediately and you have to say like, oh, I really like this or this doesn't do that much for me, that's incredibly normal in a relationship. But you're not going to know what to ask for if you don't try some things. So I think you should masturbate more. I think you should work on getting into the headspace that your pleasure is very important. I think you should remind yourself that you are not in that sexual encounter to perform or to fulfill somebody else's fantasy with no 
thought to your own experience. And you should know that it's fine and it's actually fantastic to ask for what you want in specific terms. So yeah, please don't feel guilty. Uh, And also, it's not abnormal to need a variety of different things to get you to the finish line. I don't think that's abnormal at all, especially if you're a woman. I don't know if you guys have read the book, Come As You Are. Let me quickly look up this author. Emily Nagoski, I believe that's how you pronounce her last name. Come As You Are, The Surprising New Science. Wait, what's the full title? The Surprising New Science That Will Transform Your Sex Life. So Come As You Are is a book that I read over a year ago, and it's about sexuality. It has, how do I describe this? It has chapters that are about anatomy and about physical, physiological elements. And then it has chapters that are about the mental, perhaps sociological elements as to your, like your experience in bed. And I thought it was really eye-opening. It like talks about loads of different like internal biases you might have. It talks about all the different ways that someone can like attain sexual pleasure and satisfaction that might not be what you think. It even talks about the difference between like needing physical stimulation versus verbal or mental stimulation to start feeling aroused, like different topics like that. I think you should read that book. Come As You Are by Emily Nagoski. There are so many good questions so far that I feel like we need to talk about over on the Instagram. Definitely go check out the Prologues podcast on Instagram. I do a discussion post every week just because I feel like it's fun to get to talk to everybody else about these kinds of things. And so far, I feel like there's a lot of questions that I want to hear everybody's takes on, and this is one of them. So let's do that. Go to the Instagram to get more info on that because I'm sure other people, listen, I know other people have much, 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 much better advice than I do. Okay, another sex one. Expectation of sex versus reality after marriage. And somebody else asked, does sex change after marriage? I think that it's super normal for your sex life to go through periods of more frequency and intimacy and less frequency and intimacy the longer you are in a relationship. I think it's super normal to have more sex in some seasons of life and less sex in other seasons of life. And it doesn't mean anything bad. It just is how life works and you're, when you're in a long-term relationship. There's so many different things that factor into how often you're able to get aroused, you're in the mood for sex and all these things, like your stress and your physical health and what's on your mind lately. Like There's just so many things. And sometimes life is going really, really great and you have sex all the time and it's amazing. And sometimes life is a little bit harder than usual and there's more things that you as an individual are going through. Maybe there's obstacles like you as a couple are trying to face and sex is not the most important thing in the world anymore. I think that's so normal. I wish more people talked about it. So does sex change when you're in a long-term relationship? Definitely, yes. Does it change specifically after marriage? I don't think so. I think the changes I've experienced would be present in any long-term relationship regardless of whether or not like the couple was married or not. I think there are great changes. The longer you're having sex with somebody, the longer you're with somebody, the more you get to know them and their body and what they like, the easier it is for you to pleasure them and the easier it is for them to pleasure you. So that's really amazing. I think sex has the capacity to only get better and better and better the longer you're with somebody because you just become so familiar 
with the other person's desires and everything. I think also when you're going through those harder times in life, whether as an individual or as a couple, and your sex gets put on the back burner for a, a little while, can be hard to not read into it or take it personally or question what it says about the relationship. But I don't think you need to. I think more people should talk about the fact that those changes happen and then people wouldn't feel worried when it happens to them because it's normal. I think what can change your sex life is how both of you are managing the stress in your life. I think stress is a huge factor in your sex life. And if you are not managing your stress and working it out in healthy and productive ways, that can definitely be like a bedroom killer. I would say probably one of the most helpful things that I do for my sex life is try to keep my levels of stress and anxiety out of the bedroom. It's easier said than done. I'll say this. I did not have sex on my wedding night. And I think that's way more common than people think. I feel like sex on the wedding night is such a big thing. And it probably stems back from the days when like the priest would come along the next morning to collect the blood on the sheet as proof of the bride's innocence and whatever the fuck. So wedding night sex is like something that's so hyped up in popular culture. It's like such a, a cliche, like wedding night sex, such a cliche. I didn't have sex my wedding night. We were exhausted. We got back to our hotel after midnight. We had both been up since like six in the morning. We had been on the entire day, like seeing friends, seeing family, being the center of attention, doing like a million different photos, going through the ceremony and then all the emotions and then the reception, you're like dancing and partying and like it's a huge day. So by the time we got back to our hotel, we were exhausted. We barely managed to get undressed and shower. We've ordered food. We ordered Uber Eats and then we fell asleep before it got there and we found it outside of our hotel room door the next morning. We were asleep probably within like three minutes of getting out of our respective showers. We were asleep. So I didn't have sex on my wedding night. And that's definitely not what the classic expectation of marriage would be, I guess. But yeah, again, I'm just so curious what you guys think about this because I want to hear everybody else's takes. I already can't wait to see you guys comment on this Instagram post. I love reading your comments every week because it literally just feels like we're all in a big group chat. My best friend's husband told me he was attracted to me. What do I do? You guys can't see me right now, but I'm cringing. My skin is crawling. There's a shiver in down my spine. My best friend's husband told me he was attracted to me. What do I do? You've got to tell your best friend, right? But how do you tell your best friend without them thinking that you've done anything to like, that you've done anything shady? Okay, well, first of all, this is not on you, okay? This husband sounds like an absolute piece of trash. What a piece of shit. That is so, ew, ew, I hate that for him. Hate that. Maybe you should, maybe the husband needs to tell her. Maybe the husband needs to tell her. And I'm not sure what he would tell her. Because there's, there's so little information that I have right now. I'm just like horrified because I just like, I don't know. I got cheated on really badly in past relationship. And I just think my like perspective on things like this is really strong because I remember what it felt like to go through that and like to go through that betrayal. So I just feel really, really bad for your best friend. 
I feel like this should not be on you. If the best friend's husband is being a piece of shit, it's the best friend's husband's mess. And he's the one being an asshole. And he's the one who deserves all the blame. And he's the one who should be having this very awkward, uncomfortable and sad conversation with his wife. It shouldn't be on you. But now he's like, but now you, oh, oh my God. Now you like know that he's a piece of shit. And how can you not tell your best friend that? Even though it should be on him to tell her, we really need to ask the group about this. Okay, I don't, I don't want to, I don't know. I don't know. Let's ask the group. This sucks. I'm so sorry. I'm sorry that you've been put in this position because now I like, I'm sure you really, really, really want to talk to your best friend about this and it feels awful not talking to her about it. But then also, how do you, like, this is his fault. Like, this is his disgusting mess. We need to ask the group. I'm sorry. I, I don't know the answer to this. I'm sure someone else is going to have advice that I, I, I don't know. I can't give. God. Okay. Another one. If your partner has old conversations from exes and ex flames on their phone, is that a red flag? Hmm. Okay. This is a very interesting one. This kind of reminds me of a conversation I had once with friends about whether or not you should delete pictures of you and an ex from your public Instagram. I do delete photos. I have deleted or archived all photos that were with ex in interests, ex partners, ex anything. And I've deleted all conversations. And what I've done in the past is I'll like hide all the photos that I have. I'll put them in a hidden folder on my phone so they don't show up in my main photo album, but they're not deleted yet. And then once I've got gotten to a good place and I've like feel healed and everything, then I can just completely delete those. I think deleting photos is a personal one. Obviously, if you have nudes, like delete those immediately. You should never, I don't think you should never, ever, ever have nudes or like any type of intimate photograph of a person that you're not with. When it comes to just like pictures of you guys hanging out and stuff, I think it kind of can be personal. I do believe in deleting them. The only ones that I wouldn't delete would be ones that were significant in some other way, like whether it was like a big group picture with other friends or was from a significant event or like something like that. In general, I'm a deleter. And that also goes for text conversations. I don't... How long have you guys been together? I'm like trying to be mature about this. I'm trying to be reasonable. I'm going to be honest. I would be really hurt. I don't know if that's the mature response. I would be hurt if I found out that my partner had text threads still on their phone. I guess it depends on how long they've been broken up, how long you've been together. And do they have the text threads because they just never delete their text messages and the text threads are like 50 different conversations down in their iMessage and they like never look at them because maybe they have them because they've just forgotten to delete them. But I don't know. I wouldn't like it. I don't know. I don't know if it's a red flag necessarily, but I probably wouldn't love it. And I would want to have a conversation about like why they want to hold on to it. I think in a lot of scenarios like this, again, like the best thing you can do is communicate. And so if that means saying, hey, I noticed you have this or this is still on your phone and I just like wanted to talk about it. I think that is always within your right to do. I think you always have the right to calmly and maturely bring up something that is making you feel uncomfortable. You do you have to hear them out. You have to be reasonable and like mature in the conversation, but you always have the right to say, I don't love this. Let's talk about it. I really believe that. So I would definitely have a conversation about it. And then just pay attention to their response. If you're if your intuition, if your gut is saying there's a reason they're hanging on to these messages, 
maybe they are hanging on to them because they haven't fully moved on from that person or they're not fully committed to you. Like, just pay attention to what your gut is telling you. I don't think it has to be a red flag necessarily, but I would definitely talk about it and let your intuition guide you. Let's do one more. It just says the mentality shift of turning 25. I love this topic. I've made a couple of episodes where I've talked about it before, but yeah, I think there is a very noticeable shift when I turned 25 in the way that I felt, even honestly, in the months leading up to turning 25, I started feeling like a different person. I was making decisions and plans that would have seemed really foreign to me even just a year ago. I think the mentality shift is so real. All of my friends have said the same thing. Most of my friends are in between the ages of like 24 and 27. And pretty much everyone has said the same thing about like that 25th year. I don't know what it is. Uh, People say it's because your frontal lobe is fully developed. Makes sense. I felt like I could feel mine like locking into place in the months leading up to turning 25. I felt myself becoming a different person. And I think that's slowed down now. Uh, Yeah, I really, really felt it. I'm 25 and a half now. I'll be 26 in July. The person I am right now compared to the person I was a year ago, I don't even know if I would recognize that version of myself anymore. I have let go of so many things that I was carrying around before. I have developed boundaries that I never had the confidence to put in place before. I have really focused on healing from things in my past. And I feel like I've had breakthroughs that I wasn't having before, like all these different things. But at the same time, I am more forward thinking and more serious in a lot of ways than I was before. I felt myself wanting to leave certain things behind. I don't know, like I would wake up and be like, why am I still doing this thing that I know doesn't serve me? This is bullshit. And like, why do I keep doing it? Why am I doing the same thing over and over again and feeling bad about it every time I do? This is stupid. I'm not going to do it anymore. And like making that kind of decision was easier for me the closer I got to like turning 25. I still feel like I'm out of my depth and I'm a little kid and I don't know what I'm doing. I don't feel like a real grown up yet. I don't know if that feeling ever goes away. I've talked to my older siblings. Oldest ones are in their mid 30s now. And I've just said like, hey, do you ever feel like a grown up? Does it ever feel like you've gotten to a place where things are making sense and you feel really confident in what you're doing and you feel old enough to do all the cool things that you're doing? And I get mixed responses when I ask that. They say like your confidence grows as you go through life and as you experience different situations and your ability to navigate them seamlessly gets stronger, you build confidence in yourself. So in that way, you do feel like you have a handle on more things. But I've heard from so many people that, yeah, even in like your 30s, you still just, you still kind of feel like you're figuring it out. So I definitely still feel like really out of my depth in a lot of ways. I will, I will turn to Matt or my therapist all the time and I'll be like, this thing that I'm doing, I don't feel old enough for this. I feel like some imposter, like 15 year old who is pretending that they can do this. And I'm not 15. I'm 25. Like I'm an adult. (laughs) I'm old enough to do this. It doesn't feel like it. So yeah, I don't think I've got it all figured out by any means. I don't feel like I have anything figured out. Like one of the biggest 
themes of prologues is being at the very beginning of your story still and like having so much time ahead of you, being right at the beginning. That's very much how I feel. But compared to how I felt a year ago, I do feel like I'm in a new phase of life. I do feel like I have entered into a new era. I might still feel like a baby, but I feel like a more competent baby than I was a year ago. It can be kind of unnerving. I think like growing up and making positive changes in your life can be really uncomfortable because sometimes what's routine to you is holding you back and keeping you down, but it's comfortable and you're used to it and it's really hard to change. So that's not super fun. The older I get, the harder it is to maintain a sense of like carefreeness. That's something I have to work at because I'm an anxious person and stress really gets to me. But I want to be a person who is capable of feeling like awe and wonder and joy and amazement and things like that. I never want to lose my ability to like be in awe of something. And the older I get, the more I have to work at that. I think the more I have to exercise my imagination and my creativity, it's much harder for me to imagine things than it used to be, which I don't love. Imagination is like such a muscle, I think. And if you don't use it, you you completely lose your ability to be imaginative. That's tough. It gets harder the older I get. So positive and negative changes to that mentality shift, but it is definitely real. And if you feel like you're going through it right now, I think it's great. I think you'll come out the other side being glad for your journey and just like hopefully being excited for what's to come in the future. And I'm excited. I'm in like the last half of my 20s now, you guys. I'm 25 and a half. So I am officially in the latter half of my 20s. And it feels really weird to say that. I'm hoping that just the older I get, the more confident I'll be, the more self-assured I'll be, greater sense of direction I'll have about my life path. And I'll feel empowered in my path. And I just want to keep, yeah, keep pushing myself and keep taking care of myself. And I'm hoping... I'm very excited for 30. I'm hoping that by the time I get to the end of my 20s, some of the things that feel really big to me right now won't feel big to me then. And I'm looking forward to that. So yeah, if you have made it to the end of this episode, I don't even know what to say because I cannot imagine what it was like listening to me for the last hour and a bit. Even listening to myself, I'm like, this girl needs to go back to bed or she needs to have a doc pop so she can wake up. But I hope you enjoyed this episode anyway. Definitely go to the Instagram. And if you have thoughts on anything I talked about in this episode, I want to hear them. Let's chat. Let's especially chat about old conversations from exes still on the phone. And what should this person do whose best friend's husband told her that he was attracted to her? What should she do? I really want to hear from everybody about this. Also, let me know your experience with boyfriend air. If waxing is not as scary as I think, <laughs> let me know. And if you have any advice for feeling empowered sexually and like empowered with a partner and not guilty about how long it takes you to orgasm, if you have tips for feeling more comfortable in your own body sexually, if you have tips for like exploring yourself and learning what makes you orgasm, I want to hear all those too. I, I love these conversations. So thank you guys so, so much for listening. I hope your day is off to a great start. Thank you for spending your Monday with me or whatever day of the week you're listening to this. I will see you next Monday. Bye.